Join me in prayer. Lord God, we wish to see Jesus, and we ask you that by the power of your Spirit, you would give us eyes to see his glory. Through Christ we pray. Well, today, John the Baptist is going to actually show us kind of three, this kind of simple three-step model for engaging with Jesus. He's actually going to invite us to look, to recognize, and to point. And so it reminded me that a few years ago, we were uh, traveling around, hitting up a few national parks uh, for our summer vacation, which is one of my very favorite things to do. We were driving from Zion to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And so the anticipation was like, I just couldn't wait to see the Grand Canyon. I'd actually seen the Grand Canyon one time before, but the problem was is that I hadn't really seen it. It was when I was in high school, and so we were on our way home from this mission trip at the Ganado Indian Reservation in Arizona, and it was on that trip that I met Katie. So when I got to the Grand Canyon, I was more interested in looking at her than the canyon. <laughs> and so I kind of missed out on that first opportunity. It's all good because everything worked out, and I was getting this second chance to uh, see the canyon that I missed the first time around. Well, after what seemed like forever on this drive, we finally arrived at the campground. If anyone's been there on the North Rim, it was like half full. It was quiet and peaceful and beautiful. And I could hardly contain my excitement when we drove up. And so as soon as the camp was set up, we raced over to the lodge with our daughters for their first ever view of the Grand Canyon, right? And so here's a cool picture that we found that we thought was pretty awesome. Um, I wish I could say I took that. <laughs> I did not. Um, yeah, I took that with my iPhone. <laughs> At 8,000 feet, the North Rim is only open for a pretty short season. It's 1,000 feet higher than the South Rim, on average about 10 degrees colder. Um, our family is pretty active and adventurous, so the rugged North Rim with only about a tenth of the visitors at the South Rim was perfect for us. And so I'll never forget what it was like standing on the edge of the world, looking out over this vast expanse. It had to be, without a doubt, the most incredible view that I think I've ever taken in. And so I recognized quickly that I was in the presence of something that was really magnificent, beautiful, mysterious, so incredibly far beyond my comprehension. At first, I was kind of speechless when I saw it, but then my enthusiasm quickly turned into this. I remember I started elbowing Katie and my kids. I was jumping up and down like a little kid, clapping my hands, um, and I was asking my kids, can you guys see what I'm seeing? This is incredible. Do you see it? Wanting them to experience the same thing that I was experiencing at that moment. And their response, of course, was something like, Dad, like, calm down. We're standing right here. We're looking <laughs> at the exact same thing you are. John the Baptist would actually go through these three stages. Look, recognize, and point. John would, of course, be looking at Jesus, not the Grand Canyon. He would quickly recognize Jesus for who he really is and what he came to do. And then in his contagious enthusiasm for Jesus, he's actually going to point others in his direction to follow. And so listen to these words from John the Evangelist tell us this story from chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, 
Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. It's been said that verse 29 is kind of the Mount Everest of John's gospel, or my illustration of the Grand Canyon. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John, the evangelist, doesn't give us an account of Jesus' baptism. For some reason, those details weren't as important to him. Presumably, our story takes place the day after Jesus' baptism that we looked at last week. And John the Baptist's enthusiasm for Jesus is just brimming over in this text. He's baptized the Messiah, and now he has positioned himself in a place where he will have the best possible chance of seeing Jesus again. He doesn't want to miss the opportunity when it arises. And so Jesus is walking toward John, who is in the perfect spot to take it all in, to see everything. John must have returned to the exact same spot where he had seen Jesus the day before, in hopes of catching him there again. The text actually suggests this deliberate and decisive act John the Baptist wants more than anything to see Jesus again and again. And he doesn't do this by accident. He deliberately puts himself in a spot where he can obtain the best possible view. I didn't just accidentally wind up on the North Rim of the Grand Canyon for the best view of my lifetime either. I deliberately put myself in a position where I would have a clear and unobstructed view. And so the question is, since Jesus is probably unlikely to be walking down our street today, how do we, with this same kind of deliberate intentionality, how might we 
look for Jesus. I thought about this a little bit, and there's, there's probably more than these two things, but I'm just going to share two possible answers. First, we would see Jesus in the apostolic witness of the Holy Scripture. The Bible, the Word of God, is where we can intentionally go if we want to look at Jesus. The second might be uh, intentionally looking for Jesus in hurting people. We might remember a scripture like this from Matthew 25 where he wrote, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it unto me. And so if we're serious, like John the Baptist, we want to get a clear and unobstructed view of Jesus, we will find him in his word and in the service of hurting people. But one important thing that just jumped out at me when I read this passage was that while John the Baptist was positioning himself with intentionality to see Jesus, both times in this story, Jesus was already coming toward him. God has come to earth in Jesus to seek us out. That God is constantly moving toward us. And we need to be on the lookout for God. And so a lot of people saw Jesus, but not everybody recognized him for who he was. Not the case with John. In both parts of the story, John is said to have rightly recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God could mean a couple of different things, but I believe that the evangelist John had this suffering servant of the great prophet Isaiah in mind when he wrote this. This suffering servant from Isaiah would be uh, willingly taking on the sins of the people of Israel upon himself unjustly in order to remove the sins and its effects. Listen to what Isaiah wrote from uh, chapter 53. He said, surely he, the suffering servant, has borne our infirmities, carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that made us whole. By his bruises we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That this suffering servant, this lamb of God, would willingly take on our sin, the sins of the world, upon himself. The lamb of God would quite literally just switch places with us, even though the lamb would be innocent. He would be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And this is exactly what John the Baptist sees when he looks at Jesus. He sees the one who bears the consequences of human sin in order to remove our guilt and shame, wiping it out completely and taking away its effects. And so at the very beginning of John's gospel, we already have the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is right in front of us in the first chapter of the gospel. Now, but unlike John the Baptist, not everyone who sees Jesus recognizes him for who 
he is. Not everyone who looks at him sees the Lamb of God. And so it's been said that even the love of God cannot bandage the person who has no wounds. The person who doesn't recognize themselves as being in need of the Lamb of God isn't going to share the same experience of forgiveness. The great Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, was to preach at the Crystal Palace in London. And so he went with his friend the day before to the building where he was preaching because he needed to test it out. And so he stood up in front and his friend went to the back of the palace listening because these are the days before microphones and amplified sound systems and he wanted to make sure that everyone that came to hear him would be able to hear him. And so he tested it out. The great preacher stood up in front and he read these exact words. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And the story goes that he repeated this one line over and over from different places and his friend moved to the different corners of the building to make sure that his voice would be able to be heard all over the building. But what they hadn't noticed was there was a workman who was on the roof. He was completing some repairs. He'd been listening to the pastor read this text over and over again. He went home under this deep conviction of his own sin. That night, as a result of the plain quotation of the word of God, this man experienced the Lamb of God removing his foul deeds, resulting in uh, the guilt and shame that he felt disappearing. And so when we look and then recognize and trust Jesus as the Lamb of God, our sin and guilt is removed from us, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. It's pretty far. Even John the Baptist, though, was a little slow in recognizing Jesus. It makes me feel a little bit better about my own thick-headedness and slowness to get it. John knew the Messiah was coming. He was looking intently, but the first time he didn't even recognize him when he saw him. God had to give John some help. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, the scripture said, is the Messiah, the anointed one. John, of course, witnessed this firsthand at Jesus' baptism. The Spirit descending on Jesus like a peaceful dove, the voice of the loving Father breaking through as the heavens were said to have opened up to Jesus, saying, This is my priceless Son, in whom I am deeply pleased. So first, John looked for Jesus. Then, with a little divine help, he recognized Jesus for who he really was, the Lamb of God who was taking away the sin of the world. And finally, in his enthusiasm, John points other people in Jesus' direction. When he went back to the last spot where he had seen Jesus the day before, he brought two of his own disciples with him. When Jesus approached, John pointed to the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him and they understood him. They actually left John to follow Jesus. I think this is exactly what John had in mind. This is exactly what he hoped would happen that his own disciples would leave him and follow Jesus. Jesus took them to the place where he was staying, and they hung out for the day. Oh, I wish we had these conversations recorded 
in the Gospels. They must have been powerful because Andrew ran home to tell his brother Simon that he found the Messiah. I find the interaction between Jesus and Andrew and then with Peter just refreshing and normal. Really normal. They asked Jesus where he was staying. Jesus simply invited them to come and see. Come and see. That's it. His first question upon meeting these disciples of John the Baptist was not, do you have a saving relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? (laughs) Of course they didn't. They're just meeting him for the first time. Come and see was Jesus' invitation. It was an invitation to come to his house, to hang out, to eat together, to get to know him better. It was an invitation to follow And so the first evangelism that we have recorded in John's Gospel is really just incredibly simple. We're not even told about their conversion experience. The invitation from Jesus was enough. And so John looked at Jesus closely. He recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God, and then he rightly points his own disciples to Jesus. That's the beginning of what we call the church. Andrew took the next step. He ran home to tell his brother Simon about Jesus, family evangelism, sharing Jesus with the people you love and care about. What could be more important than that? We have found the Messiah, he said to his brother. And he just brought him back to meet Jesus for himself. I found this story interesting. Jimmy Carter, the 39th president of the United States, was also a very committed Christian. And so every year, his home church, Plains Baptist, would have this week of mission in which the congregation members would go out in the community, they would meet people, and they would invite all these unchurched friends to attend their church's big revival meetings. And so one time, another church nearby asked Jimmy Carter to speak on the topic of Christian witnessing. And so in his preparation to share he decided he was going to talk about his involvement with his church's mission week. And so we began by saying that in 14 years, he had managed to visit over 140 homes in his local community to invite people to come and take a look at Jesus and come to his church's revival meeting. 140 homes, that's a lot of homes, right? That's really something. It's incredible. And he said that he was really proud of his achievement. I would be too until he compared his witness for Christ with his witness for political office. He realized that in the 1966 campaign for the governor of Georgia alone, that he had gone out and met over 300,000 people in an attempt to convince them to vote for him. And he said that when he thought about this, he said the comparison struck me. 300,000 visits for myself in three months and 140 visits for God in 14 years. But our story is much, much simpler than this. 140 is quite an achievement. John the Baptist, he just brought two people to see Jesus. Two people that he loved and that he cared about. Andrew brought one. One person to see Jesus. His own brother, Simon. Jesus did the rest. Look, recognize, point. The Grand Canyon may be the most incredible natural sight I've ever seen, but that said, it did not change my life. 
but taking a look at Jesus' has. It makes me think, who do we know, who do we love, who do we care about, that we can point Jesus' way? This is why we started this church. It was started for those of us who are not yet here. So we're constantly keeping that out in mind in front of us. To those people and to you and I, Jesus might simply say, come and see. Come and see. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, help us to see you more clearly. Help us to recognize you for who you really are, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and the sin of the world. God, as your people, we ask that you would send us out as your church to point others to come and see your incredibly loving Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.